Thank you, Kyle and band. How about a hand for the band? Are they awesome or what? They do a fantastic job every week. My name is Greg Willis, and I work with the men's ministry team here, so it's a privilege for me to be able to, to be here and share with you today. I want to thank Lee uh, for the opportunity, and uh, hopefully after the message, you would thank him too, so uh, I appreciate this opportunity. Uh, you know, I've got, got, had some bad news. The bad news was I had this message down to about two hours, uh, but the good news for you guys is I've got it down to an hour and a half now, so we should be good. So I'm looking forward to sharing this time uh, with you. I've longed to speak on something that, uh, you know, that I felt like I really had a grasp on, something that I, is this mic on here too? Uh, something that I felt like I really had a grasp on and something that I had learned and, and just really doing well in my Christian life, but unfortunately that's going to have to wait to another time. I'll tell you the truth today. I struggle with this. I work on this. This doesn't come easy for me, and I work at, at what I'm going to talk with you about today. Let's, let's pray first. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our King, Father. Thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that you have a desire to speak into our hearts today, to, to do a work in our hearts, to call us closer to you. And Father, we submit. We want that. Father, we hunger and thirst after you as the deer pants for water, Lord. Help us to, to hunger and seek you and love you above everything else in our lives. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today, your will, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, friends, today I want to talk with you about the pursuit of a godly selfishness. I know that sounds weird. The pursuit of a godly selfishness, and I'm going to explain that to you. A godly selfishness is when one takes a, a, a strong interest in their own necessary well-being for the sake of creating a higher level of godliness in their life or in the lives of others. It's a godly selfishness. I know we think of selfishness usually as something that's, that's wrong and bad. I want to show you there is such a thing as a godly selfishness, and we're going to look at that today. They say the number one strongest desire in human nature is the desire for survival. You've probably heard that. The desire for survival, you know, we'll do anything to survive. I want to submit to you that the number two drive in the human nature is the desire for joy. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I think the number two drive is the desire for joy in our lives. And I want to show you that. I'm going to show you that in your life too, okay? But first, I need, I need a, a volunteer. Thank you. Come on up. Hi. What is your name? John. Hi, John. I'm going to make you an offer. In fact, I'm going to give you something, okay? And I'm not going to ask for this back. You can have it, okay? Either way. So we're talking today about the drive for joy, the, the pursuit of a godly selfishness. John, I'm going to give you a choice here. This is a $5 bill. Now, it's kind of wrinkled a little bit. Okay, it's a little bit wrinkled, but I'm going to let you walk out of here with that if you want to. But if you'd rather, I've got a $1 bill here that's not wrinkled at all, okay? And you can have either one of those, whichever one you want. Take whichever one. Is that the one? Are you sure? This one is not even wrinkled. Look at that. It's crisp. You sure you want that one? All right, John, why did you choose that? It's more? All right. What you're saying is there's more joy that will come from that $5 bill than a $1 bill, right? Yes, that is true. That's why you chose it. Otherwise, you'd take that. 
right? There you go. John, thank you. How about a hand for John? My friends, I want you to see that we choose what we think will make us happy. We choose the things that we think will give us joy. Now, you can call that a satisfaction, a pleasure, whatever you want to call it, but we choose what we think will make us happy. Let me ask you this. Why did you come to Christ? Why did you come to Christ? I'll tell you why I came. I was 18 years old. I had a couple of incidents that just drove me to Christ. I was drunk in an auto accident. I thought I was going to die. My head was bleeding. I thought I was going to die. I said, God, do, I'll do anything. You know, just get me out of this. The second thing was I was 18 years old. I had two bookies. One of those bookies, I owed him $3,600. He said, if you don't pay me, and I said I couldn't, if you don't pay me, your body will be floating in the Trinity River. I said, God, I need help. There's got to be more to life than this. I came to Christ because I saw the benefit of coming to Christ in my life. Why did you come to Christ? I can tell you whatever the reason was, you did it because you saw a benefit of coming to Christ. You saw the joy of coming to Christ. All human beings seek joy. We're made that way. God made us that way. I want to read a quote here from C.S. Lewis. It says this, C.S. Lewis was a professor at Cambridge and Oxford Universities. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity. He said this, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of rewards offered in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Church, are you far too easily pleased? Are you satisfied with the mud pies in life when God is calling you to something far greater than that? If you get nothing else, get this out of today's message. Joy is not a byproduct of obedience. It is a crucial ingredient for it. It's not a byproduct. It's a crucial ingredient for it. You see, the problem is that we as humans, though we seek joy, we look for it sometimes in other places. We look in other places. Some people look for it by collecting stamps, others in collecting guns. Some people go on walks for joy. Some people go on vacations. Some people play cards, some play dominoes. Some watch sports, some watch soap operas. Some get married to find joy, some get divorced to find joy. Some couples make love to find joy, countries make war to find joy. Some people go to movies, some people go to rodeos, some people go to piano recitals to find joy. That's the reason why there's dog people and there's cat people, because they find joy in different things. Some people play the guitar, some people play the radio, some people play hockey, some people sing in the shower, some people sing in the car, some people watch the stock market, some people watch pornography, some people seek money, some people seek power. It's the reason why Democrats vote for Democrats, and it's the reason why Republicans vote for Republicans. Some people cheat on their taxes, some people cheat on their spouses. Some people help other people. Some people help themselves. It's the reason why you're either a Coke person or a Dr. Pepper person. Some people climb mountains and some people ski down them. Some people overeat. They overhoard. They overwork. They overspend. Some people watch the Texas Rangers to find joy. Some people watch the Dallas Cowboys to find joy. 
Actually, I'm not sure why. You would have watched the Dallas Cowboys. But some people worship God. Some people curse God. Some people live in sin. And some people strive for righteousness. All to find joy. My friends, we are made that way. In a strange sense, it was why the two killers in 1999 entered Columbine High School and killed 12 students and one teacher. It was so that they could find a joy in doing damage to other people. It was the reason behind the 9-11 tragedy. It's not because the people hated America. It's because they took joy in the damage they could inflict on America. It was a perverted sense of joy. It is the reason behind every mass murderer ever to exist. And I thought that was off. It was the reason every mass murderer in the, in the U.S. has ever existed. They do it to find a perverted sense of joy, my friends. We're made to find joy. Now, the marketing world has also um, caught on to this. If you would put up image number one, I want to show you the marketing world. Made, look at that. Have y'all seen that commercial? I mean, enjoy the go. They're appealing to you here, you know? There's joy in everything. Put up image number two. Now, this one, free Charmin. Enjoy the go. Bathroom Games app. You can get an app on your phone to help you enjoy the go. Does that sound great? How many of y'all have that app? Anybody? Where's Kenny? Kenny? Some, Kenny, do you have that app? Somebody check his phone, please. Somebody check his phone. Put up image three, please. Now, look, notice this. Today we're going to talk about a godly selfishness. Look at this. You've been on a plane. You've seen this. You've heard them say this, to, to put your mask on first and then help a child. Why? Because you have to help yourself first. My friends, there's a truth in that, and there's a spiritual truth in that too. You have to help yourself first before you can help someone else. That's what a godly selfishness is. It's about helping yourself to be godly and to walk in Christ so that you can help and pass that on to other people. The effectiveness of your Christian life is proportional to the depth of your joy in Christ. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's an awesome verse, isn't it? Isn't it? We're not going to deal with that. Let's go to verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want to talk with you today about three ways where you can pursue a godly selfishness. And most of this is coming from verse 2 there, talking about Jesus enduring the cross. The first thing is this, joy provides vision for your mission. Joy provides vision for your mission. Notice that the Bible says that for the joy set before him. The joy set before him. My friends, let me ask you a question. Who set joy before Jesus? Who could that have been? It was only God the Father that set the joy before Jesus. And that joy that we're going to see that Jesus was seeking 
made such a huge difference in the life of Christ. For the joy set before him, joy provides vision for your mission. Vision is that which defines your mission. It gives you direction. Let's think about Jesus' mission. What was his mission? Well, not much, right? Not much. No, he just came. He had to leave heaven. He had to be born of a woman. He had to grow up as a human boy and man. He had to live a sinless life, be a victim of constant harassment, be beaten and tortured, take man, mankind's sin upon his back and become sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He had to die on a Roman cross. He had to spend three days in the tomb. He had to rise from the grave, and he lives to intercede for us. That was his mission, my friends. Why did he do it? It was for the joy set before him. The joy gave him vision for his mission. He did it for the joy set before him, the future joy. There's three kinds of joys. There's a past joy, there's a present joy, and there's a future joy. And my friends, God can use all of those in your life as a strengthening tool to help you get through certain things in your life, past, present, and future. He wants to use joy in your life. Let me ask you this. What is your mission? What is your mission in life? What's your mission in life? Are you supposed to just be a good person? You're supposed to be a nice guy? You're supposed to be moral? You're supposed to be kind? Ladies, you want to be sweet, just known as a sweet lady? Men, you want to be tough, known as somebody tough guy? My friends, your mission is to make Jesus Christ look awesome. Your mission in life, if you're a Christian, is to make Jesus Christ look awesome. That is your mission in life. Every one of us have the same missions. If we're called a Christian, our mission in life is to make Jesus Christ look awesome in our life. And there's lots of ways you can do that. There's lots of ways you can do that. You can do that by being a great person. You can do that by loving people, going on mission trips, serving at church, serving as a volunteer in your community. You know, serving at school. You can do it by being a great student, being a godly son or daughter. You can do it by being a great parent, a, a wonderful spouse. My friends, you can do it by being the president of your neighborhood cornhole league. I don't care. However, whatever you do, you can glorify Christ in that method. And that is your mission, to glorify Christ. You see, the bottom line is that we love Jesus more than we love ourselves in everything that we do. Joy is not a byproduct of obedience. It is a crucial ingredient for it. Second thing here, look in verse 2 again. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. My friend, joy provides strength for your trials. It provides strength for your trials. The cross was only for the worst criminal. It was only for the worst. No Roman would die on a cross. That was saved for someone else. It was very seldom if a Roman would die for it. My friends, you've seen the pictures. It was slow. It was painful. It was gruesome. It was agonizing. Agonizing. It was humiliating. It was shameful. It was disgraceful. And it was public. And the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross. Another way to say that is he suffered the cross. He suffered the cross. If you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson, 2004 movie, you know the graphic nature of that. And my friends, I think that was right on target. You can imagine it. You know what it looks like. My friends, he endured it. He suffered the cross. Why? Verse 2 says it was for the joy set before him. 
it was for the joy that God had set before him. That joy, uh, you know, it was out there and Jesus was looking at that. I firmly believe that while Jesus was being persecuted, while he was being looked down upon his whole life, while he was being made fun of, while he was being tortured and spit upon, while he was being uh, stripped of his clothing and beaten, that he was looking at the joy set before him. You know that song that you learned in Vacation Bible School, right? Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Ready to sing? Okay, the joy of the Lord. Right. Y'all didn't sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah said that. My friends, repeat after me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now do this one. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's your strength, my friends. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If you have no joy, you have no strength. I didn't know the drummer came back up here or what. My friends, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You've got to get that. I know sometimes we try to go without any joy. We can't do it. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Show me a joyless Christian. I'll show you an ineffective Christian. Show me a joyless Christian. I'll show you an apathetic Christian. I'll show you a compromising Christian. I'll show you a Christian that's struggling with life and temptation. The Bible talks about joy over and over and over. I just want to run through some of these verses that it talks about real quick. It talks about joy in God's presence. Psalm 16, 11 says, You'll fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 32, 11 says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. It talks about joy in God's person. Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Roman, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It talks about a joy in giving. It says this, Paul, it's, it's written, Luke writes, remembering the words of our Lord Jesus himself, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's a joy. It talks about joy in sacrificing. It says, 2 Corinthians 8, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Their joy prompted that. It talks about joy in persecution. Hebrews chapter 10, it says, You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. They joyfully accepted that. It talks about joy in trials, James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you fall into various kinds of trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Count it joy. And then finally, it talks about Joy in death. Paul gives us the ultimate example. Philippians 1, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no ways be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. There's a joy in that, my friends, and dying is not gain unless Christ is your treasure. 
There is a joy even in death that comes. Well, the third thing that this verse speaks to us about, it says that, there is a, that joy provides motivation for your reward. Look at the last part of verse 2. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy provides motivation for your reward. My friends, even the Son of God used motivation for his reward. Now that's awesome, isn't it? When you consider the implications of that, even the Son of Man, the Son of God, uh, used motivation for his reward. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now we ask the question, what joy did Jesus have? What was he looking forward to? How, how about being reunited with the Father? You think he had any joy in that? How about taking his rightful place on the throne? How about trading his crown of thorns for a victor's crown? How about casting aside this temporary humanity that he had for a little while? How about enjoying the fellowship of the saints? How about receiving the worship that he was finally due? You think Jesus had any joy in that, my friends? It was the promise of a future joy that gave him the motivation to pursue the reward. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand on the throne of God because he was using that joy as a motivation for his reward. Bible gives us lots of examples. I want to show you this is not an isolated case. I want you to see the Bible teaches this over and over and over again, that, it, that there is a huge connection between joy and reward. I want you to just see this. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus promised rewards for giving, praying, and fasting. Look at that up. Matthew 6, three rewards, giving, praying, and fasting. And then he talked about having treasures in heaven. Matthew chapter 13, the man who in his joy went and sold all he had so that he could buy the field, the kingdom of heaven. Matthew, Matthew 25, Jesus rewards those wise servants who use their talents and abilities correctly. He rewards them with more. Matthew 25, again, Jesus rewards those who practice a giving lifestyle. You remember the parable of the sheep and the goats? Enter at my right hand. The rewards were there. In Luke 6, Jesus offers rewards to those who love their enemies. Luke 15, it was a motivation for the prodigal son to return home. He came to himself and he said, you know, my, my father's servants have it better than I do. There's reward there. There's better there. I'm going after that. I'm going back home. John 10, 10, it was the principle behind the abundant life that Jesus promised you. The rewards and the joy that he wants to give you. In Ephesians 5, 20, uh, 25 and on, it's the motivations for husbands to love their wives as Christ does the church. And it says, how do, how do they do that? Why do they do that? Because Jesus loved the church. Why? So that he could present her, the church, as a gift to whom? To himself. So that he could be pleased and honored. It was the reason why Paul's pursuit of the crown that would last forever. He was seeking after the prize. It was the reason why in 1 Corinthians 9, why Paul would beat his body, it says, to make it his slave. Why? Because there was future joy there. There was something he was after. It was the reason why Paul was forgetting what lay behind him so that he could seek on the, the treasure and the prize that was in front of him. I want you to see four of these especially in Luke 9, 23 through 24. You know this verse. It's behind the call to deny yourself. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. 
Verse 24, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. That's reward, my friends. That's reward. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, 24 and 26, talking about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Hebrews 11.35, after Hebrews talks about all the heroes of the faith, then it says this, Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. A better resurrection, my friends, there is a reward. Don't be afraid to use your reward as motivation for your obedience. In fact, do it purposefully. Get what Jesus was doing here, that he used motivation, the joy of his reward as motivation to get through life. In 2016, I was diagnosed as, as having diabetes, and I try to watch that with what I eat. And uh, I, I, I used to, you know, consider a gourmet meal, uh, a bag of chips and a plate full of cookies, and, uh, you know, top it off with a bag of peanut M&Ms. Man, I was, I was living high. That was good. That was good for me. Well, that, that got me diabetes. And uh, I went to the doctor the other day. My, my, my hero was Cookie Monster, in fact. Uh, he, was, he was my hero. My favorite restaurant was Krispy Kreme. Love that place. Um, but I went to the doctor the other day, and uh, my doctor said, you know, I was doing pretty well. I'm not taking medicines. My doctor said, are you type A? I said, no, I'm not type A. He said, are you, uh, are you OCD? I said, no, I'm not OCD. He said, well, usually when I see people do well with their diabetes, they're either type A or they're OCD. I said, no, let me, let me explain it to you. I do this because I have to do this. I do this because to me it's a choice of life and death. I do this because I want the prize of more life. You see, Doc, uh, I've got a grandson who's making, a, he's making his approach for a final landing in this world right now, and I'm doing this for a joy so that I can be around in life. To me, this is life and death. My friends, that's what Christianity is. It's a choice of one pleasure versus another pleasure. It's a choice of choosing the greater pleasures. I ride a stationary bicycle sometimes. I get on that and I ride and I ride. And my friends, I huff and I puff and I sweat. And you know what? The scenery never changes. And I don't enjoy it one bit. Why do I do it? I do it for the reward. I get on my treadmill. I huff and I puff and I'm sweating like, you know, like I'll get out. And I look down and 30 seconds have already gone by. And man, I'm just, I'm doing everything I can. Why do I do it? I do it for the reward Friends, don't be afraid to use the reward as motivation to get you through life, to say no to some things and say yes to some other things, to say yes to godliness. Do it for the, the joy set before you. What joy do you have? How about the joy of obedience? How about the joy of freedom? How about the joy of righteousness in your life? How about the joy of a holy life? How about the joy of being in God's favor? How about the joy of, of fulfilling God's purpose and calling for your life? Tell me, friends, how does sin compare with that? How does anything in life compare with that? 
Do it for the joy set before you that God has set before you. My, God, my friends, you serve a God who is a rewarder. It says so over and over and over. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. Seek him rather than the fleeting pleasures of this world. Seek your God. You see, sin is just a deceptive offer, offering a temporary false joy, calling you to become less of a man or a woman of God. That's what sin is, where righteousness is the promise of a lasting reward with an authentic offer inviting you to become more of a man of God and more of a woman of God in him. That's what righteousness is. You tell me, friends, how does sin compare with that? How do lesser pleasures compare with that? They don't. They just don't. I want to show you two final calls here in these verses. Verse 2 You'll notice the phrase, fix our eyes, fix our eyes. Romans 12, 2, it may say, yours may say, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And then you look down in verse 3, and it says this, consider him. My friends, it's giving us calls to remember Jesus because the joy set before him and what he did is calling us back. Use him as your example. Use him as your light. Use him as your pathway. Use him as your savior. Fix your eyes on him. Consider him. Follow Jesus. Let him help you with your joy. Let him help you be the vision for your mission. Let him help you be the strength for your trials. Let him help you be the motivation for your reward, my friends. Now, there may be some things that you've been missing. Maybe some things you've been missing. Maybe you've been ignoring the importance of joy. Maybe you have been giving your, your life and over to false joys. Maybe you haven't given the, the correct priority to it. Maybe you've been looking in the wrong place. Maybe you've been trying to run on an empty tank. It doesn't work very well, does it, my friends? It just doesn't work very well. Lesser joys just don't fill us up. Lesser joys don't give us strength. Lesser temporary joys, they, they sacrifice the lasting joys. I want to give you just three summary statements here. And, and hope that you can take these home. Hope you can learn something for this. Hope that God speaks to you in these three summary statements. Number one is this. God created you for joy. He created you for joy. He designed you for joy. And he calls you to walk in his joy to magnify his glory. You can't do it any other way. It won't be done. You've tried it. I've tried it. It doesn't happen. He's created you for joy, he's designed you for joy, and he calls you to walk in his joy to magnify his glory, and that's the only way it's going to happen. Second one, if you do not pursue your maximum joy in Jesus Christ, you are sabotaging your own life's purpose. You have a purpose, my friends. Your purpose, as we said, is to make God look awesome to make him look beautiful in this world that needs some real beauty. That's your purpose in life. How are you going to do that? If you don't do it by maximizing your joy in him, you will not do it. I guarantee you that. I've tried it, and that's how I know. I've tried it. Number three, like Jesus, you must let God's promise of present and future joy be the vision for your mission. Be the strength for your trials and be the motivation for your reward. Let 
God's promise of joy. Be everything you're seeking. My friends, that's where life is. God created you that way. You're made that way. You're designed that way. You function best when you work that way. That's how God made you, my friends. I want to just give you here three real quick statements. How do you do this? How do you do this? How do you make this change? First of all, you have to make a commitment. You have to make a commitment. You have to look deep inside and say, I see some things, you know, that are not right in my life. I see some things I need to change. And I'm going to offer you a chance here in one second to make a commitment. I'm just going to ask you, if you want to make a commitment, and my friends, you know if you've been seeking joy in your life or not. I just want to invite you to make a commitment. We're going to invite you in just a second to stand. If you want to make a new, fresh commitment, we're not going to get your names. We're not going to do anything else. I'm just going to have you stand, and I'm going to pray for you. Second thing you do is you develop a plan. You make a commitment. You develop a plan. How am I going to do this? What am I going to do differently? What is that going to look like today and tomorrow morning, Monday morning? What's it going to look like that I begin to change what's going on in my life so that I can maximize his joy in my life? And number three is you create a lifestyle. You start to set some things in motion. You start to set some things in motion. So I just want to pray for you. If, if you feel like you need to make a commitment and we're not going to do anything else, nobody's coming down here giving your name, your email, and your social security number, not going to do it. I just need to ask you, if you need to make a commitment to pursue joy in Jesus Christ like never before, for the joy set before you, I would ask you just now to stand. Just stand. I want to pray for you. Just stand. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Just stand. Thank you, brother. Just stand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just stand. Hey, man, we, we've all been there, right? We've all been there. My friends, God is a rewarder. There is so much more. Don't live below what God is calling you to live at. Live up to your calling in Christ. Pursue him. He is your prize. There is nothing in this world worthy of what Jesus Christ offers you. Nothing. I know it's a struggle. I know it's a struggle. I struggle all the time with it. But Jesus is worth every bit of effort you make. Young people, Jesus is worth it. Your society, your culture is going to tell you something different. It's going to tell you to fit in and be impressive to your friends. That's not worth it. Don't fall for the lie. And it's the same for adults. My friends, stand up for Jesus Christ. If you want to make a commitment to pursue joy in Christ, one more second. One, two. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you. Thank you for the joy, Father, that, that you put in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you for the joy set before Jesus that even though he was going through everything he went through, he would pursue the joy, Father, so that we could know you and live for you and love you. I pray for these brothers and sisters that have stood, God. I pray that you would be with them in a special, deep, meaningful way today. Call them deeper, Father, into you, to walk with you, to know you, to love you. Give them insight into your word and how you want to use joy in their lives so that Jesus Christ is lifted up in their lives and in the lives of those they touch. In Jesus' name we pray together, Father, as a church. Amen.